Hello and welcome to this week's very special episode of Dum Dum Die, which is an all-female, all-awesome D&D 5th edition homebrew podcast, usually set in my world of Kalados, but tonight is not about my world. It is about an amazing new world called the Wagadu Chronicles, and with us we have the creators from Twin Drum Studios to discuss and just have a chat. So, as usual, it is interactive, but to introduce themselves from Twin Drums and the creators of Wagadu Chronicles, if you can introduce yourselves to our audience, please. I'm Alan. I founded Twin Drums last year, and uh, my background is in game design. Uh, I've worked for a number of games, like some, especially mobile games in the last years. I was on Candy Crush as well, so I apologize if your grandmothers <laughs> were very distracted <laughs> in the last years because of this. Then uh, I realized I wanted to work, go back to PC, work on something that was kind of more personal and you know, really was very connected to. So I started the Wagadu Chronicles uh, last year and I've been doing both game design and of course uh, as a founder, like managing the company. And I am originally Italian and Ghanaian and currently based in Berlin. I am Kike of Nigerian Heritage, born and raised in London, UK, and have been based in Berlin for about four years now, where I had the pleasure of meeting Alan. Um, we had a really lovely discussion about Twin Drums, and I was really excited about the theme and what it kind of all stands for. So I joined last year as a writer. And here to be part of the interviewing panel. Hi, I'm Wednesday, and I usually play Lauren Skyvale, the Asimov Paladin in the adventures in Astra, but I'm going to help this interview move along as much as I can, or not, <laughs> who knows. Hi guys, I'm Nelly. I usually play uh, Kira Nightingale, the half-elf sorcerer in the Shadow campaign, and I was recently your GM for a short stint of the Star Wars game, and I too will be trying to help this interview progress or digress, we'll see, we'll see. Evening everyone, I'm Lena. I normally play Andromach, the changeling in Carla's world. And I'm very honored to be part of this interview panel with our guests all the way from Europe. Very excited to hear what they said of what they're gonna tell us about world building and how they got into this entire Wagaru Chronicles theme and just everything around it. So quite looking forward to this interview, guys. Very, very nice to have you here. I've met Alan previously and we organized this and I'm just, so excited because the world is amazing but in true professional style you know we're professional because we say it a lot we've split up the questions but we're going to chat uh, freely in between them all as we go so first up alan and kike it's really great to have you guys with us as carlo mentioned we're all really excited about hearing about the wagadu chronicles and also having an opportunity to play at some point if the both of you can just tell us a little bit more about yourselves not specifically with regards to the wagadu chronicles but maybe in terms of your geekiness or how you fit into gaming, that sort of thing. I mean, it's the typical story. When I was uh, a lot younger, I spent a shameful amount of hours playing games and I really, really did like the narrative aspect of that. Um, nowadays, I don't play games so much because I, I genuinely don't have the skills for it. So I just force like people close to me to play them and I, I genuinely enjoy the story of that. I'm actually quite new to the gaming industry. I've done a teeny bit of uh, narrative work but the Wagadu Chronic course is literally the, the biggest project that I've had so far, and I've really been enjoying that. But yeah, previously I worked in IT, but I'm kind of finding my way in <laughs> the gaming space and really enjoying what I'm doing so far. So yeah. 
very cool. First of all, very much enjoying to be part of this journey, Pika. Is there in public <laughs> announcing publicly? Shared <laughs> love for the team. <laughs> Recognition. Oh. Yay! Yeah, there's lots of hearts going on in Green Jump. Yes, all the love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my case, you can just like just thinking like so many things like whether so uh, same same like Pika like I. I spent a lot of time uh, playing game, video games. That was really like what brought me into into this world. Especially, I loved role playing games. Like I'm, I'm one of those Final Fantasy VII people. Fun <laughs> fact: I was uh, I was growing up in Italy, visiting family in Germany, and my cousin had the game in German. I spoke no German, and I managed to play the whole first CD <laughs> of Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> in German without understanding anything and actually <laughs> it was so hard the game was so hard and at the very end my cousin like you know after me spending like 20 30 hours was like why are you playing the whole game without casting any spells so <laughs> then I, I realized why like the healer like Ares kept on dying because you're just like hitting the enemies with her <laughs> yeah so that was kind of like me getting into role-playing games as a I learned a lesson though like use magic use magic in role-playing games as a teenager, I started actually 20 years ago, <laughs> started uh, running D&D games, and that's kind of been a constant. I'll say like really, these are the two pillars for me to grow into this space and then become a game designer. And, and I never stopped like running games. I had a bit of a struggle when I was based in Ghana in Africa, because as you might know, there's like less players on the continent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise, like I really played uh, a lot and both. Yeah, I've had ups and downs, a bit like you because sometimes there's not enough time to play video games, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I managed never to stop. As far as getting into RPG, Final Fantasy is like a great place to do that. <laughs> Final Fantasy VII. Like it. Love it. But in a language you understand is better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really cool. I mean, I don't really know anything about Final Fantasy except that Cloud has got a really big sword and I'm really into swords. <laughs> so. Okay, as the team from Twin Drums, how exactly did Wagadu Chronicles come about? It comes actually for a very, like, uh, maybe unexpected place. I can say kind of like from two directions and two, two ideas that merged. And one was a, an experience I had like more than a decade ago with a game called Ultima Online, like a video game that some of you might uh, recognize. Kind of the grand grandfather of MMOs, like one of the first like big MMOs, uh, like you know, isometric, 2D. Nowadays, doesn't look very pretty, it's very old. At the time, even 10 years ago, it was pretty old already. One of my players for my campaign at the time, so you should really try this like Ultima Online server. It's like a gray server, so uh, like an unofficial server where everybody role plays. And that sounded like a very strange thing. So I got into this server, and I realized there were like hundreds of people online in this like safe space role playing with each other, like and like a big D&D table. And I thought like, this is so cool, you know? And then after I left, you know, I left the country and I, I, I left the server. I was even part of the staff of the server for us. I really did a lot of work, wow. unpaid work as a student. Yeah, then I, I thought like, I'm sure this is like, if there's a video game somewhere that did this. I created a space for people to role play online. And then I've been waiting for a decade and no one has done it. So I'm like, hmm. I guess <laughs> someone should build this. I mean, there's, I mean, D and D is, and the other, the other thing is D and D is doing so well, right? So I was like, mm. people love to role play. Like there was a period when it was a bit declining a few years ago, if you remember. And I was like, oh no. And then it just went back up, and it's like people love role playing, and it's still happening. And video games are still a thing. So why not make a video game for role players? You know, where the mechanics and everything. You don't have to go and hack those experience into MMOs or like other type of games. And the other thing was the lack of um, like um, you know visibility of 
representation of uh, African themes within fantasy. So I thought like, well, I'm, if I'm building this online space, this online role-playing game for role players and, you know, for acting out your character for full immersion, why not making it like, you know, Afro-fantasy, which is something that really is not there and I really want to have. So then the two things started growing together and I think they merged like really, really nicely. And having a D&D setting for it was like just a natural step because all of the lore was being built and everything. And for me, it became a way to test the setting as well. So I started like running games with the D&D setting, thinking this is going to be a video game and you know, people really loved it. And so that really gave me some energy and momentum to keep on working on the game as well. So the two things kind of mixed together. And you, Kike? Oh, well, right now it's predominantly the, the writing. Um, I'm working on the adventure that I'm sure we're going to speak about very soon, The Child in the Oath. To be honest, I just really, like I said, I'm born and raised in the UK, kind of the way I was raised isn't really, was really just a small part of like the bigger picture that is like all of the culture that Africa kind of has to offer as a continent and the different countries. So yeah, I mean, I can't say that I <laughs> came up with the idea of uh, bringing the Wagadu Chronicles to life, but um, yeah, I definitely resonated with it a lot. So Ellen, you, you mentioned the, the term Afro-fantasy. So I'm going to ask yeah. that noob question. And it's also because I've never understood that. Usually when people say we have terms like Afro-punk or Afro-fantasy, I actually don't really have a full comprehensive idea of what that means. So what does that terminology mean to the both of you? Afro fantasy is basically, I mean, kind of what you see with standard fantasy in a way. Well, I mean, hopefully it won't be the standard forever. You kind of have like these elements of European history and then it's got this like magical element. Um, I don't know, maybe it's dragons or dwarves or different types of uh, spells and whatnot. Afro-fantasy is pretty much the same thing, except the, the root is kind of more inspired by what Africa has to offer in terms of its culture, in terms of um, its folklore and all of these different things, again, entwined with magic. So not entirely from the history, but draws from that to create something um, new and quite vast. Couldn't have said it better, so. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that really drew us to stalk you, basically. We we saw we saw a tweet <laughs> by the Wagadoo Chronicles, which you can follow on Twitter, by the way, guys. They got amazing artwork, great mm -hmm. explanations. And I was like, we need to talk to you. <laughs> Please, can we play? <laughs> that's really awesome to see, though, actually. Yeah. The people are really excited about delving into this kind of a world. It's really cool. I just really want to say to you guys how happy I am that you guys even started this because mm -hmm. it's a very big deal. Like you, you both mentioned how there's like a lack of representation, um, more or less, in the space, and it just gives me like heart palpitations. A good way. I really love it. I love playing games. I love playing fantasy, and I love the idea of like it's something else. But it's always nice to see something that you can better relate to. If you can actually almost like see someone that kind of looks more like you versus. I want to be an elf and then I'll have to make them adapt to what I perceive them as versus it just looking like me off the bat, which is always so cool. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. I stalk your your your, your social media quite a lot. Just look at like more imagery and all that stuff. Just like, but anyway, I could go on for hours. Um, <laughs> Moral of the story is stalk their socials. Stalking people is not a good thing. I'm just letting you know. Um, okay, <laughs> casually follow ardently. Well, actually, we want to be stalked because it's good. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> people stalk us 
And then when we go to crowdfund, contribute as well. It's great. So yeah. stalkers <laughs> oh, okay, like to okay. give you money. It's true. Yeah. We were committed stalking. We were looking for committed stuff. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. That can, that can be arranged. Um, and sorry, sorry, Nelly. Outremian says the art is incredible. They just followed you. Yeah. Oh, there wow. we go. Stalker number three because follow was number one. And Nelly was two. <laughs> yeah. Um, tie into the questions to like where this whole idea came from, I wanted to ask you guys, like with the recent success of Afrocentric and Afrofuturistic works like uh, Marvel's Black Panther or Tomi Ademi's uh, Children of Blood and Bone or even like uh, Nnedi Akwa for her work with, well, anything she does, including the Binti series, did that in any way influence you guys uh, releasing this or did that kind of give you like a sense of like validation that there's a niche for this, there's a need for this type of work? The adventure is completely created by mm -hmm. Kika and the uh, setting originally is created oh. by me. So kind of like we have these two elements, uh, which you know, maybe we could talk about later, but it's really interesting to see for me, it was the yeah. first time that someone took like this thing in my head, kind of these ugly notes, and then made like something out of it, something playable. So this is kind of like mm -hmm. how we interacted. Uh, yeah, so the setting came first and then the adventure uh, from, from Kika. And on the, on the question, uh, yes, has had a big influence. I've been part of like many conversations and debates around Black Panther, for instance. There's a lot that can be, for instance, criticized about how it could have been done better or like different yeah, things. But... But, but at the same time, it's like, let's go, you know, one step, like let's start somewhere, right? Like let's, let's start with representations and then we keep on improving. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I think this is like such a big step that Hollywood, you know, doing this, even if it's maybe not perfect, you know, there's some things that could have been represented differently. And I think this gave the confidence to someone like me as well to say, maybe I can quit my job, you know, as a lead designer in another company, a stable company to risk everything and start something built around an Afro fantasy, Afro kind of science fiction world. So yes, it influenced definitely. I get so excited seeing there's like a resurgence of interest in like Afrofuturistic or Afrocentric work. So it's quite cool. And like I'm a big, big fan of mythology and folklore, and like especially more like a Southern African because I'm Swazi by birth. I don't know if you guys can relate, but like the whole idea of like history or folklore, mythology is very like oral based. So you don't there's not much written um, recordings and a lot of stuff. So but you, you get little glimpses here and there. Um, I want to know if the, the work you guys are doing and the story you guys will do, will there be any features and nods towards known mythology, like, uh, for example, Nyame Nyame or any other gods, for example, that we may know of already? You, you've come to the right place, love. <laughs> There's a lot of different gods, spirits, ancestors, all based on African folklore from all around. Definitely a lot of elements you'll find in both the adventure and the game. So you can, yeah, you've come to the right place. <laughs> I can give something maybe like the, uh, for instance, there's these lineages that we teased already right on, on Twitter. And like the lion bloods have a strong kind of roots, like inspired by Southern African cultures. Mm. Definitely one inspiration is Zulu, but not only, there's like kind of throughout the Southern part of the continent. So again, it's an Afro fantasy game, as Kika explained. So, you know, it's not like historical, so you're not going to find like super specific detail, but like inspiration wise, find some elements uh, from, yeah, from the, and, uh, and then we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be very excited to hear like what you think uh, of it, or, yeah. or maybe to yell insults, like you should have done this different, you know. <laughs> We're here for it, here for the feedback. I saw the Zulu uh, part, because the, the, the name you use for this, the, the lion blood is a Zulu term, yes. so I was like, yes. okay, I know that word. So I know where you guys are kind of going, that's 
respect. That's why I asked that question. The child in the oath is amazing. <laughs> yes, we're all going to stalk you. Everybody stalk them. Yes. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> I need to stop, but I have one last question, I promise. <laughs> So I don't know if you guys are aware, maybe not so much for you, KK, but in the D&D space, there's been like some political discussions about where not it's very diverse and there's actually like a mm -hmm. lack of it altogether and people are moving from the D&D brand altogether for that reason. Do you feel like you guys, this is the right time for you, like there's a definitely like a niche market for you to, to capitalize on more or less? Yeah, I mean like basically... It reflects in your work, but you know I can kind of formalize this. It's interesting because I've been joking sometimes to uh, others, saying like, "Oh, like Wizards of the Coast is copying us," you know, like <laughs> you know, people are waking up. And because you, know, for instance, in February, like uh, you know, we already announced that we're not going to be having races in in our setting, and uh, so th this conversation like has been happening, uh, like I mean, a lot in my head, <laughs> and in general, like not earlier. So. The Wagadu Chronicles is not just like taking all of the structure and that means as well like kind of the racist patriarchal elements that you find in mm. traditional D&D settings and then mm. kind of painting them black. That is not what the Wagadu Chronicles is. It's like it goes a bit deeper and challenges many of these structures. And, and one of them is race and, and, and for instance how you have inherent like evil race and so on. And I, for me like the turning point was around I think a decade ago that I, I was living in France at the time and I ran a game where the characters were all dwarves and they were trying to rebuild their own dwarven fortress. So that the campaign was all about like rebuilding their dwarven lost civilization. And they uh, managed to beat like, a whole gang of, of goblins. Then they got to this cave where all the goblin women and children were. And this was really close to the base they were trying to rebuild, to their own fortress. And then they found themselves for an hour debating, like, but you know, we don't want to kill them. But if we don't kill them, they're going to grow these kids and become like evil goblins mm -hmm. that will just like potentially attack us. And and in the end, they decided to flood the whole thing. But it was such a painful decision and so uncomfortable. And I remember like they were not happy, I was not happy. And it made me really think it's like, how is this thing possible? Like even children and you know, people defenseless women were like were evil, inherently evil. What is this? Mm. It's like it was such an ugly thing. And that, that was I remember one moment that start, where I started questioning a bit. But it was kind of in the back of my head. And then later, more and more, especially I, I love Tolkien, but I went to research more like where all mm. come from. Don't, don't, but, don't, it, it, it just, yeah. yeah, same. It, yeah. It's painful. <laughs> exactly. So I remember once, it was an interesting thing. I was looking into like black people fantasy on Pinterest. And then, so like, kind of like, you know, black elves and so on. And I remember this, this was like a few years ago, then some orcs popped up in the algorithm. That was another moment I have a realization. It's like looking for black people in fantasy and orcs. I don't think it happens anymore because in the last years, more illustrations and more art. It is a change happening, definitely, and we are part of it. But I remember like seeing that and thinking, of course, the algorithm unwittingly, like unwittingly, is just presenting our bias, you know, our bias within fantasy, which is a bias within society overall, right? So mm -hmm. this conversation, yes, is at the root of um, the Wagadu Chronicles, not just about you know, repay, as I said, painting black, but it's really about rethinking and it's, uh, queerness too is a, a kind of the core of the setting. You know, for instance, like why aren't there queer gods in many sets? They say, yeah, we're mm -hmm. open to, but where are the queer gods? Where the gender flu where's gender fluidity? Where and so many of these thoughts are like are, are pillars at the, at the base of the Wagadu Chronicles. Thank you so much. Like you have no idea how happy you're, you guys are making me right now. I'm like vibrating with excitement. I'm gonna 
calm down for a moment and just let someone else talk. I'm going to just jump in from chat. Dark Wolf, one of our followers, says, and I think they're speaking about the goblin situation, is it allowed the, uh, the players to face the dilemma themselves, which is beautiful because creatures are not inherently evil, but the way they are brought up or their actions often out of fear or need is perceived as such by someone of a different upbringing. And I think mm. that's the amazing thing about D&D is as much as it's uncomfortable, like you realize your inherent feelings or emotions to some things and how if you're told by argument's sake the D&D book that goblins are evil that you automatically react to them that way even if the GM just says you see a goblin shopping and you're like oh the D&D book told me they were evil so obviously they're stealing and I think that's where role-playing can be really amazing is it gives opportunity to explore things that you wouldn't explore in real life and find ways to work around them. So in the setting I run, I have racism in it against changelings. So everyone is quite racist to changelings because of something they did in the past, which no one can really remember. Although it's not a main plot point, when it comes about, it it allows us to essentially, it's like theater, it allows you to replicate and engage in a topic you know, people stumble. No one's perfect. I mean, I myself did something not amazing. I um, And Nelly brought me out on it. And we can all be better the more we work on it. Like, um, I made a joke with hashtag NPCs lives matter. Because in the one village, they burnt down everyone. And then Nelly messaged me afterwards. And she said, look, Carla, I know you don't mean it that way. But it's not right. And... When we're in spaces where we can teach and learn in a non-judgmental way, that's really, really amazing. And Dark Wolf says, I did manage to make their point, so I'm glad. Outremian, uh, I feel like every time I say it, I say it differently. <laughs> so asks, yeah. are there any plans for an animation around Wagadu? Ooh. So I don't know, Kike, is that something that you're secretly kind of <laughs> trying to I was thinking that would be really cool. <laughs> There you go, there you go. I'm all right, it's interesting, right? Yeah, so uh, for now, the, like, the plans are the set, D&D setting, which, uh, I mean, like, uh, Nokiko's Adventure, it's coming out this month. And then the video game, which is the, where most of the work of the team is going into. And there'll be a crowdfunding campaign uh, soon on this. And we'll see, like, depends on how uh, the Kickstarter goes as well. Um, you know, that's going to help us see how much interest there is in this as well. And, and you know, who knows in the, in the future. So... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to say no, I'm going to say not for now. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be a stretch goal. I think you are going to be so surprised. We saw your tweet in January, and after we chatted, Alan, you mentioned that the, the support was insane. So I definitely think hashtag stretch goals. I hope so. You can make it happen so by too. stalking them now. Twitter, Twitter, <laughs> our social media. <laughs> We'll, we'll definitely put all the information on our socials after this yeah. and we'll also share it in the podcast description and any way we can share it uh, without having it blazoned on our faces, but only just. <laughs> now that Alan has uh, mentioned it and we obviously, the, the question is in, on everybody's mind, Kike, what can mm-hmm. the players and the GMs expect from Child of Earth? Yeah. Child and the Earth. Right. Well, first off, I mean, Alan's already teased quite a lot on Twitter about the world and elements of it. 
but in the adventure you'll definitely get a more in-depth look into that how things work maybe some questions that you might have had from um, things that you've seen on the socials so there would be that um, a very kind of detailed explanation of this um, in terms of the adventure i hope <laughs> that the GMs and the players will, well, no, actually not, I hope, they should expect um, an amazing story. Um, I think there are lots of interesting challenges, interesting characters and scenarios. And again, um, all inspired by kind of pre-colonial Africa and the cultures and traditions that come with that, but with a magical twist, obviously. <laughs> I would say that in a nutshell. Oh, and some really, really good descriptions of food. I make sure food. Like, you will be hungry. <laughs> I always love getting into um, the world building aspect. And that's why I'm like, I want to know how you guys get into this. Because, you know, it's more than just like getting a good idea one day and saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get this going. I'm going to start this and I'm going to just run with it. And pretty soon you hit a roadblock and you go like, okay, but. I need something more. I need I need something enticing. I need something that people will be interested in. And um, when building a world, I mean that I think that element is so critical. And I mean that's why I want to know what the players in the gyms will be can expect from your module because what's going to be pulling them towards the Wagadu Chronicles? What what is going to entice somebody to go like okay, you finally got into a printed copy of your thing. It's distributed. What's going to entice me to go and buy that and make that run that module for my players? Well, damn, this is this is a question. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the uniqueness of the world itself is enough to at least garner the uh, the attention of the audience. Of course, it's not enough. It has to be presented in a very interesting way. And I feel like we've done that. Like there's such a variety of interaction with your world with the NPCs that you encounter, different changes in, in states, and also, I guess, in some way, an element of choice. So, like, there is fairly linear story, in a sense, but you can move forward in that story in any way that you would like, in a sense. So that element's quite cool. <laughs> yeah, I think, it's in a way, it's, it's kind of just the way you interact with the different elements of the world of Wagadu. Like, I, I can't really explain it so well but there's like so much that you can do so much that you can kind of experience that i mean i'm not a dnd veteran but i have read some adventures and i do feel like it's it's quite unique in comparison to that i very much agree and i think like many elements are familiar like it's still a dnd adventure but for instance you know being in the rainforest which is like where the adventure starts like presents some different challenges from just being in like, I don't know, a Western looking forest. And you don't see many rainforests, for mm. instance. And even like how you deal with like spirits or ancestors is different from how you deal with orcs or goblins, right? So there's, uh, I think the interactions like, yeah, Kiki, you were mentioning, I, I really uh, agree like with nature, with food. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you're taking it a step further from um, just making an adventure where people interact with the players or the event and really expanding it to interact with the world itself. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I really feel that there are so many different like changes in environment, actually, like even that in the whole adventure, you're, I don't know, I think there's four different settings almost that you pass uh -huh. through. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I think you'll 
hopefully you like it. Something okay. I think I'll, I'll, I'll uh, tease on the introduction, and I think it was mentioned as the introduction on the setting as well, which is basically like the ex expansion on what you saw on Twitter, like more about the images and so on. There will be, for instance, uh, all of the, so this is the first time where I'm revealing this like uh, officially yeah. online, but there will be like all the stats of the various lineages, for instance. So you'll be able to oh, wow. see like all of the, yeah, nice. uh, like you can build characters from scratch for each lineage and each kind of sub lineage, like different. So there's a, a, a lot of different characters that you can build. For instance, that's one thing that is going to appear there. So there's a bit of like, you know, setting introduction Actually, half of the book is set introduction with like character creation, a bit of history of Wagadu and so on. And then once you have kind of gotten this information, that can sink into this like, you know, Kika's adventure. And, uh, you know, as, as, as she just said, like there's like, you know, like four different places that you get to explore, but with the information that you got from the setup. This is not so much for the rest of the ladies because they're not gamers. What can we expect from the PC game version of Wagadu Chronicles? an online game so definitely you can call it, it's an mmo although i don't use the word so often because people think oh it's world of warcraft which is not it's a very sandbox game where you go in build your character based more on a skill system so as for instance ultimate online i mentioned have the system but you know even eve online like other more sandbox games and it's not very combat focused so there is some conflict you can die there's you can can defend yourself but it's really more about building things and getting together with other players and creating like kind of these communities. And then dialogue, it's a big thing. It's around dialogue. So speaking with other people, you know, creating drama and being, <laughs> and speaking is like a big part because it's about role playing. So, and what we're building is a community where everyone role plays. So that's a very special thing. Like, you know, mm -hmm. every other online game, there's maybe some corners where people try to role play, but here, like literally everyone is speaking like an NPC, like they're acting like a, like a big D&D table with lots of people role playing there. And this is one of the challenges Like we're not building just a video game, but a community. And mm -hmm. there will be, I think, a lot of back and forth between the D&D players and the video game players, I think there will be big overlap as well. So people who play like Kika's Adventure and then they want to do similar things and create similar characters in the video game mm. and so on. So there'll be connection. Are you going to put some of the NPCs from Kika's Adventure in the world as like NPCs? Ooh. Um, Maybe. Yeah, like that's a, that, yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> Honestly, I'd be curious to see how you guys implement that because, I mean, a lot of the online games where you have this kind of setting is they either focus around uh, either combat or uh, building elements or mining, trading, simulation type of a scenario. So you're basing something on the role-playing aspect. I mean, I can already tell you, a lot of my friends are going to find that appealing mm -hmm. uh, just because we're a bunch of LARPers and we're a bunch awesome. of role-players. So definitely... Looking forward to seeing how you're going to, you guys are going to approach that. Cool. Thank you. And I want to just add two things that you mentioned are mutually exclusive. So I think you can have a role-playing experience where you are you know, engaged in the economy of the game or even in combat. But the difference of like uh, a fighter in the Wagadu Chronicles video game is that versus one just like uh, in a random MMO. In a random MMO, they're probably doing it for loot and XPs. And in the Wagadu Chronicles, yes, there'll be, of course, some mechanical reasons, but they might explain it with more than, you know, like it's a matter of the lore. Like they're, like they're people really 
have an issue with those spirits, for instance. So they will pick that specific type of spirit to attack or fight. There's you know, much more. And you have people are able to build upon mechanics and give them more meaning. So it's not, it doesn't take away from the mechanics. I think it adds to the mechanics. And I think being someone who hasn't um, grinded it out in World of Warcraft, but, you know, I farmed in Hello Kitty. I farmed. Is I think those kind of things make games more sustainable because then you're not just killing to get to the next level or you're not just fishing to, you know, get your sword of fish scales. I mean, as you would. <laughs> yeah, so I think it, it, it lends itself to you wanting to play more because there's reason for you wanting to do it and reward over and above, you know, just XP or loot. Like, my players will tell you, I very seldomly give them XP. I don't use XP to level up. I level up based on story arcs. Mm-hmm. And I don't... I very seldomly give you loot, actually. No, she steals our money. That's what she I does. did. I stole yeah. our money. This is true. Steal all true. of our money. Stole your money. I'm, I'm not the one who's broke here. <laughs> um, also, uh, chats, they're just saying how beautiful your artwork is. And they're very excited. And they are asking maybe a stretch goal of animating an intro into the lineages. Because the lineages are just so beautiful, both story-wise and artwork-wise. Maybe that could be a cool, like, everyone could have a two-minute animation of their lineage or something. Yeah. Take note, taking notes. <laughs> Chat throws some random things, hey? So, although, you know, use it, don't use it. <laughs> so, speaking of lineages... That brings us very well done, chat. Brought us round. Tell us a bit about the lineages and how people will build their characters or and how it's it's different from, you know, races in D D and what we can sort of expect to create. Lineages, I mean, in some way they're similar because you have some stats that impact, you know, powers that originate from the lineage. So at the, at the first glance, we go like, oh, this is just like races in other fantasy, you know, role-playing games or D&D, standard D&D. But actually the difference is that in the Wagadu Chronicles and the you know, world of Wagadu, lineages are manifestations of your connection with like your ancestors and spirits. But the difference in Wagadu is that spirits are more like wilderness entities that are like related more to nature usually, whereas like ancestors are like, basically nice undead ghosts, <laughs> speaking in D&D terms. <laughs> like the usual, well, they can be mean as well, but I say mean or nice. Like the whole concept of good and evil actually is not really a thing in Wagadu. Everything like shifts and depends on, on context. And yes, some creatures may be more mean or aggressive, but you can potentially find a way to deal with everything in the right terms or the right gifts or offerings. So that's a bit based on many African religions as well. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of give and take. There isn't like a devil. There are just like some very, very naughty gods that require a lot of things, maybe even blood, but you can appease those as well. Right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as you would do usually, right? <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, the lineages, what, the, the, what's peculiar about them is that you're usually born into a lineage because one or both of your parents of that lineage, but you don't necessarily have to stay in that lineage. Uh-huh. It's like something that you might identify in another, with another lineage and switch mm-hmm. at some point. So it's much more fluid, for instance. And another very important thing is that cultures and lineage are not one thing. So okay. every lineage tends to have like a couple of cultures that are dominant, but then you have some cultures that are composed by like two or three lineages, uh, even like typically. And in actually every member of a lineage specifically could be of any culture. 
So it's much more loose. So when you see a, uh, like someone of a specific lineage, uh, you can make a guess of what culture they belong to, but you might be wrong. And probably looking at the clothing, maybe their religion, what's it, would help you uh, figure. So there's like a very high number of combinations. You could create a character that was born in like the lineage of the lion. Talk about lion blood. Say like a lion blood character that like grew up in a culture that is actually mostly maybe uh, of. Uh, Daimas, so kind of like the moth uh, people, so more like death and moon related, but somehow the, the, this family of lion blood is part of this culture. And then somehow during their life, they were maybe like sailing a lot in the traveling the sea with lots of other uh, water people, and then they turned, end up turning into a, an Ikaki person, like a water, mm. like kind of you know, person. And this, this is so, so much more, for, and I'm not even speaking about like the sub lineages, which is another <laughs> layer. So it's actually much more multi layered, and you're not defined. And it's not set in stone. It's, a, it's an element of your identity, but it's not set in stone, and it's much more complicated. I think Kika created some really interesting NPCs, for instance, based on this. Actually, Alan, like I think that's really fantastic. Mm. Being someone who is who is actually admixed as well, like to have a sense of self-identity, to know that in this game setting, irrespective of how you identify yourself, it still matters. It still means something, and that's really cool. That's really really cool. Thank you. Every time we chat, the world gets broader and deeper. And I apologize. I, I don't feel like I'm a very objective interviewer because I'm fangirling about Wagadi. <laughs> but I'm just like, it's it's so beautiful, guys. What we'd like to also chat about being an all-female, all-awesome podcast is in a lot of your artwork, there's a, a lot of women are featured in the in the artwork. And so what is the, the role of women? Because usually in... If we're going to take stereotypical, you know, D&D, most of the times people might not choose to play women. There's not a lot of women who are playing. I mean, that's like things are changing, which is amazing. But previously, you know, a lot of people weren't playing. And if they did play women, it's kind of stereotypical and they'd, you know, be rogues or, or bards. <laughs> so what's the role of, of women in Wagadu and what do you see that as being? I could maybe start with the adventure side of things. To answer your question, in a nutshell, any role that a woman chooses to, to play within that world. One thing I personally tried to avoid was assuming any kind of gender role. So there is a mixture of women in different roles. So for example, you have um, women in positions of power. You have women that are in positions where they're nurturing others. It really just isn't expected of a woman in this world like a man or a non-gendered character could also easily play these roles even in terms of gods and spirits and ancestors it's the same thing as well no women don't represent a specific kind of thing and yeah we've tried to diversify those roles not assume characters that women would play i think that's the one thing like i'm very excited about to play in the world as well is as much as we can homebrew things, uh, you know, we want to into D&D. When our players make characters, they'll come and they say, okay, well, I'm attached to this god. And usually fertility gods are always women. <laughs> and I'm like, well, hey. And it's nice to be in a setting that's going to be so surprising and so different. And I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier where eventually we hope that this is the new standard. Because I've seen, I've seen a quote from one of your other interviews and where you said... Eventually, you don't want it to be Afro-fantasy. You want it to just be fantasy. It's the only way it happens, right, is if it's shown and shared. I have another question that came up to mind now. So previously, you mentioned how the point is it's meant to be 
very pre-colonial type of landscape, obviously with elements of magic and whatnot. I like the fact that you guys delved in the idea of it being like, everything's fluid, like when it comes to gender and whatnot, mm -hmm. and even sexuality, I imagine as well. So Alan, this might be more of your question, but actually maybe both of you, because you don't have to be in the D&D space, but other constructs or other games, have you found that kind of level of freedom? I definitely feel like I haven't found that not, and I feel like it's like steps. So like you find uh, there's gradually more queer NPCs or women, mm -hmm. but like, like I feel there's so many, and I'm just going to use the word like patriarchal elements often like mm -hmm. in, in the, in the very foundation of most settings and worlds, mm -hmm. and maybe like only some really, really small independent projects, like sometimes manage to shine uh, some light into like this very, uh, you know, non-normative, very wonderfully uh, imaginative worlds. And, but mm. there's, there's, there's nothing that is mainstream, I find, yet. Like, I think we're going to see steps happening. But, like, if someone really sits down and kind of looks even at some of the most progressive big video games out there, there's still so much of this foundation that uh, is there. And, and that's because it's hard for them, even with just fantasy, like, to go there and, like, erase everything and start from mm. scratch. But when you're creating an Afro-fantasy world, you can. So that's what, that's what happens. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. The only time I can kind of think of a, a way that they've presented women in a like position where they're not assuming anything, I don't know, um, like Saints Row or something really silly where you have like this <laughs> this blank character and you can customize it and obviously you do exactly the same things as you would as a male character. But I really struggled to think of games that I've personally played that have have done this, let alone like even. We won't even talk about like uh, non-gendered or trans or anything beyond the standard genders. Kind of sad. <laughs> but you guys are making change. You're at the forefront of it, which is amazing. And I think that also yeah. speaks to what Ellen said earlier is, and like with Saints Row, like you mentioned, they just basically allowed you to paint the character however you wanted, but intrinsically it's still male or it's still a certain way. We need the change in games to be inherent and deeper than just painting it female or painting it black, like you mentioned. Moving on to slightly lighter, what is your favorite, favorite part of Wagadu? For me, I mean, sorry, this is, this is nothing new, but I, I definitely found the spirituality element of the game really, really interesting. So like just a teeny bit more about me, like I was raised in a Christian, household and the kind of thinking was anything beyond the god of christianity was kind of wrong and in a way i didn't associate um having multiple gods or certain traditions with my culture which is actually quite crazy in a sense so when i was working on the adventure and doing all of the research it was really interesting to see that a lot of including like cultures like of my own ancestors um they practiced like polytheism and there were different gods for different things, and it wasn't something that was seen as a taboo, I suppose. Um, and even the element that um, Alan mentioned as well, um, I like the idea that we have dispositions. I guess like you would maybe meet an ancestor that's maybe a teeny bit more hostile and you have to work a little harder to move them around. <laughs> um, but that is like your experience with each spirit or ancestor is based on how you interact with them, how you respect them. And I, I really, 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 really love that element. And it's also, I don't know, it just makes me feel like really full of pride when I read the stories or like about the different gods and like how rich the religions actually are 
um, I, I, I won't say were because a lot of people still practice these uh, religions or practices. So yeah, like that, that was really mind blowing for me and it made me feel <laughs> really, really good. And yeah, I, I, I loved it. <laughs> That's an amazing answer. It's hard to follow up for me. <laughs> for me, it's like, yeah. Professional first interview. Yes. <laughs> yes, there you go. There you go. I there you it. go. You're making harder for me. So sad that people. And then, <laughs> and then actually, I'll say for, that'll make a very basic one. Like, I think it's like more trivial, but it's like just the fact of everybody being black is my favorite thing. <laughs> Especially because I grew up in my case, like, I grew up. It's a, it's, it's a, it would be funny if I sad as well. Like one of the first black kids in the town where I grew up, like it was me. And actually when I went for instance to um, high school, it was 500 students and I was the first black kid. So imagine like yeah. how it was. And I was to represent, it was so many things like the, my, you know, my burden was so heavy representing Africa, mm. representing it. And then the second one was my sister when she, <laughs> when she joined the school. So there was, um, you know, I, I, I can just leave it to you, but as you imagine a lot happened. Uh, in, the, in that experience and um and so you know for me it was like luckily i was very connected to ghana and i would go there very often and you know got to uh, you know luckily i always had a strong connection with the continent but being able to create worlds even fantastical ones where like there's a lot of wonderful happy strong thriving black people is just something i never take for granted tomorrow maybe it's another answer today the answer is this, this is what <laughs> when it becomes the standard then the answer might change. Yeah. I, can, I can't say I can relate to like being that much a minority, but I grew up as a minority as well. At least I have a twin brother, so we weren't, a, I wasn't the only black kid all the time, but um, there you go. I'm grateful. So at least you had your sister. That's awesome. I grew up as a minority and at some point we moved to South Africa and then it's like, it's like a different world altogether when you all of a sudden, you, like you said, it's nice to be around like see people just thriving all that stuff versus just seeing like stereotypes or having to represent your entire culture, your entire race. You just walk around like, oh wow, they're different types of people because we're all so multifaceted. So yeah, that's, a, it's a weird feeling. Whenever I travel and come back here, it's like, wow, it's nice to remember that like there's a, so many variations of people as it is and you just don't have to always feel like you have to rep represent everyone else for your own sake. Chat uh, wanted to jump on what Kike was mentioning as well. Uh, the Dark Wolf says, it's a beautiful thing to pull info from the past to create something new. It is in its own way educating the future of past traditions and preserving a form of the of the cultures. I know you said it's, it's not directly from, but, and if you follow them on Twitter and Instagram, you can see <laughs> you guys are doing an insane amount of research. Can you, can you share a bit about some of that? I've been spending like the last years, like this, the research for the Wagado Chronicles started years ago. And it started a bit as a personal thing, like me, just like Kika, you know, growing up in this household that was very Christian and where like lots of the traditions, uh, in my case, Ghanaian traditions were submerged and sometimes demonized as well, which is like a you know, very new colonial thing in the end. You, know, you just keep on, uh, you know, reinforcing those uh, types of self-hatred. But somehow, like there were like some windows, like some things in my family that sometimes like the the facade would crack. Like I remember once this lady came to my my grandmother's place in Ghana, and I was she was like dressed in white, like really weird with this strange hair. And so I was like, "Who's this lady? Oh, she's the priestess of the family goddess." It's like, what did you just say? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, it's like, oh yes, like but no one follows it anymore. She's the last one left listens to her and i was like i'm going to listen to her and um you know and i discovered this thing you know and and, and so it's like there's there's still some 
things like as Kiko was saying, there's elements, there's people who still believe, and there's even some of my family members that are you know very distant relatives. And uh, then I started digging, and but there was so I had so little connection. I started and you know being mostly based in Europe, I started reading, and then I just realized there's so much. Just in modern Ghana, it's all connected. You know what? Mm -hmm. I started like reading about Yoruba people, like you know, Kike's ancestors, and then about you know, South African people. And I'm not going to pronounce any names because I cannot click, so I'm just going to say Southern Africa. <laughs> I'm not even risking it. Oh, you can try, so, it'll be really fun. Yeah, it'll be try, trying, is the, trying is the thing, it's if you yeah. refuse. So, to yeah. try. So I I, I didn't have any, any, a beer or vodka anything before this podcast. Unfortunately, I'm not gonna... <laughs> <laughs> So next podcast, next podcast, I'm trying. Let me just me trying to. Uh, okay, so you've confirmed you're coming back, and we didn't, didn't <laughs> ruin our relationship. There you go. But yeah, so I, I started like reading books because online to this. That's what I think. The internet is so biased. It's like that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons to why there isn't much Afro fantasy because I mean people who want to discover the roots. And you know, people who have maybe less of a starting point think about lots of the American diaspora, especially in the North American diaspora, because there's been such a systemic effort in the last centuries to erase the language mm -hmm. tradition. You know, like you compare it with Brazil, Afro-Brazilians or Afro-Caribbeans, the North American diaspora has been very much like torn away from the roots. There's still some sign, but it's very little. And when they go, and I've heard this from you know some people from the US, like they go on the internet and they look for you know, like what, like, you know, pre-colonial history. So there's so little. And so I found myself reading books and and many of them hard to find expensive. Some books would cost like hundreds of euro, which is like hundreds sure. of dollars. Yeah, because they're like so rare, out of print. Nine, 1992, this like one was printed like 10 copies. But this sign, like, you know, sociology, so quite a number of books that are like from the 19th century and the explorers. Sure. And often like there's this kind of sensationalistic, a bit racist mm -hmm. thing, but they have like so yes. much juicy info and illustrations that I couldn't find anywhere that I had to read those and endure them sometimes. And then connecting all the dots, then you know, I've been able to create enough knowledge to start working on uh, the, the fantasy, because you need to have this foundation to create something so new as a setting based on you know, cultures that are not the traditional Western you know, European cultures. So that mm -hmm. was a, reading was a big part of the process, but then there was a, a bit too of like deconstructing the Western fantasy and then see like what of these tropes, and I don't mean it in a negative sense, kind of like uh, archetypes, are um, universal. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's something about elves like being otherworldly and so elegant, and, and they don't need to be white with, you know, blonde hair, mm -hmm. but they're like magical and otherworldly. And then there's like these very honorable people. And there's like, and when you break this archetype, you, you find them very much in all cultures, actually. And then mm -hmm. you realize the genius of Tolkien was taking these archetypes that are within legends and then making them this fantasy european thing and so like rather than being lazy and just copying the on the surface what Tolkien came up with like let's go a step deeper let's break this archetype let's find them and like let's you know polish them like see the glow of like what they mean and why they resonate with every culture because Tolkien work resonates with every culture right mm -hmm. and then rebuild based on african cultures and, but to do this rebuilding, all of the research was needed. And, and I haven't mentioned videos, I haven't mentioned papers, and like and even interviews to people. Like my mom opened up on stories that you know I never heard before. She spoke about uh, her experience in a small village and in the forest. And she told me about the spirits of the forest. I've never heard about that. And it took me working, quitting my job, becoming broke, which I am now, and working on this project to finally get my mom to tell me about the spirits of the forest. <laughs> 
it's, it's a journey. It's a journey. It's so fortunate that you at least you have your mom because I try to reach out to like certain elements of my family to find out like even folklore within um, my lineage and my where I come from, and then a lot of it's still oral based. And then I found that like years after my great grandmother passed away, that she would have been the perfect person to speak to. Only I had known about this when she was still alive, have been perfect. So now it's like the whole thing of trying to find other roots. So like I I see what you mean about doing a lot of research. So it's always like frustrating, but also interesting. We need to make sure by stalking and following the Kickstarters that Alan and Kike are not broke so that they can come to South Africa <laughs> and they will take them places. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That. Because we're actually quite good at saving history to some, to some degree. Yeah, we've got some really passionate sociologists and also like, for example, there are some like hectic geneticists who are, for example, involved with the Sand Council in South Africa. So, I mean, there are people who really like delve into like all all the cultural, all the genealogies, all of that stuff. So it is it is a real thing here. I mean, we are the birthplace of, of humankind. Atremian says props for taking a shot when things were tough, Alan. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's really admirable to yeah. follow your passion like that. That's amazing. Kika is in the same position, so it's <laughs> both of us. <laughs> oh, okay. Honestly, yeah. you did, you did lead that. I mean, I wouldn't be doing what I wouldn't be in this position if you hadn't started the whole thing. So all credit to you, love. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because you were in IT, you said. Yeah, I was working as a product owner, so. <laughs> That's giving up a lot. Wow. <laughs> Precisely. Like, I really believe in it. It's amazing. Like, kudos. <laughs> wow. Uh, this is both of you. Wow. Outremian <laughs> agrees, nearly. Honestly, I, I, I don't think I've, I would have had the courage to do something like this. So hats off but for both yeah. of you, honestly. I still don't. So yeah. I, Thanks I, for calling me courage. fantastic. <laughs> I, I call it foolhardiness, foolhardiness, madness, crazy. But like, like courage, I'll take courage. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so maybe um, because I, I mean I've I've heard this from a previous conversation, but what happened when your Twitter sort of blew up? Did it give you a sense of relief, or you know, tell us tell us about that? So I did not sleep for three days. It's <laughs> 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 like I just replied. I I actually replied to every mm -hmm. single message <laughs> and wow. it was me so for people on twitter like if you wrote a message i replied to you and that was like <laughs> hundred. i'm not sure if it's i don't know anymore because I, I my brain wasn't functioning anymore very well so i cannot put in count but it was definitely hundreds like many many hundreds of reply and comments and shares and i commented replied to each of them and of course there were thousands of uh, i mean like i think that post got like ten thousand likes and uh, and then there were like <laughs> like one and a half two million views i don't know, know even anymore and uh yeah that was and and this was like just us and at the time the team was even smaller and especially like me trying to understand if like all this thing someone cares about it like, i almost hope actually i remember thinking i hope at least 200 people see this and like <laughs> like this this was like so it was very unexpected and uh and it was magical definitely yeah it was very, very big validation you know for but there's some people like, like he can, the last year already she was like i think this is cool i want to join but you know i was thinking, oh it's nice that you're crazy as i am you know <laughs> <laughs> crazy but courageous then, yeah but then actually this like beginning of this year it showed that there's lots of other people who will maybe you know maybe we're not that crazy maybe there's something there so 
Doc Wolf is saying, remember, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and Richard Branson were all broke at some point. Yep. Hashtag just saying. <laughs> I want to be super selfish, and you can shout at me later about doing this. Okay. <laughs> but I, like, as I said, this is a very selfish thing, and it's more a request than a question, because Ooh. we're really excited to play. Mm in your setting yeah. to play a module in the Wagadu Chronicles, but also because I love it when Carla role plays, <laughs> would either of you be willing to run it for us when we yes. play it on the stream? Alan? So, yeah, so <laughs> I, uh, so one of us role played to the, run the game. Yes. 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 Yeah. Uh, so, like now that's in front of everyone, so I cannot play it back. Yes. Yeah, let's <laughs> talk about this. Let's follow up. Yeah. And actually, I've been, you know what, I've been complaining lately that I'm not DMing enough because I'm so busy, like, like you know, being on streams and so on. So this is the perfect combination. It's like, oh, let's do a stream for visibility and, and, and you get to play. It's like, okay, that's perfect. Like that. that so. <laughs> Adam's awesome at DMing though. He's, he's really good. Really, really good. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure or anything, you know. <laughs> yeah. Just, well, um, now we're like looking forward to it even more. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a very South African saying that uh, just don't be cuck and you'll be great. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, you know, shame. It means don't be shit. Yeah. Don't be shit uh, and you'll be you'll be okay. fine. Yeah. yeah. So no pressure, okay. but still pressure, basically. It's like super yeah. blunt, Sorry, that's like a bit a bit of an in joke. The ones like we were stressed and and someone just came up to us and was like. Don't worry, just don't be cuck and it'll be fine. And I'm like, that's not great advice. <laughs> to be honest, like because you know, half of the experience is the players in the end. So with a, a bounce like you, I think that puts me in a very safe position because it's like, no, no matter what, you're going to be so amazing and fun as usual as you are. So it's just going to, it's going to make it easy anyways. So yeah, I'll just throw in a few random words and then the magic will happen. So I'm very, I'm very calm. <laughs> But Kike okay. must also yeah. play. Yeah, yeah. Please do. What is your time? Great, great player. She's a great player. And actually, I couldn't believe that she just started D&D. And I was like, okay, good. Like, like mm. yeah, great. let's ride this adventure. Like, do it. <laughs> I, I was honestly blown away, though. I thought, I thought Alan was Like, I, I did watch some videos after. And, and yeah, Alan's good. <laughs> so I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind joining. <laughs> Um, yeah, that I, just means Carlos not going to shout at me later. No, I got <laughs> Kike in. <laughs> oh, what's that? We're just winning. <laughs> you make me sound like I don't like playing. I love playing. No, it's not that. It's that I don't want to, like, you know, I'm jumping the gun. I'm going, I'm going above the hierarchy. <laughs> oh, shame. That's, that's, that's cute that you think there's a hierarchy. <laughs> Listen, somebody's got to be the boss and it's definitely not me. So. Yeah, I mean, someone, someone has to mute and unmute people on the, on the stream. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's a hard job, okay. So. Guys, it's, it's more complicated than you think. <laughs> yeah, I, I already fulfill that type of role in my normal day-to-day, -day, so hands off. God, it's all yours. Thank you. <laughs> Um, we're going to have to sadly bring it to, to a close. Where can we stalk you and what's the next thing that we can, how can we support you? So definitely the safest way is uh, the newsletter because we'll be sharing uh, like the Kickstarter date and all the information on the uh, newsletter. And to join the newsletter, like have links on our Twitter accounts, but on the website as well, logadochronicles.com, on Instagram. But like once you're in the newsletter, then you will get that information. But of course, like Twitter is 
currently uh, one of the uh, social media we're updating most. Uh, there is Instagram as well, and uh, yeah, so these two are the, the most. But the, the newsletter I strongly recommend because then we'll send, uh, actually, that's the first place where we'll send info on the Kickstarter. Actually, in, in, a, in a Kickers Adventure, there will be some teaser on more info on that. Sneak peeks. It's been like a wonderful roller coaster. There's been like some tough, tough talks, some, some bittersweet, sad talks, and a lot of laughing. So thank you. Thank you, um, Kike. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Lena. Thank you, thank Wednesday. You. Thank you, Nelly. Thank yeah. you, chat. Oh. Apremian has already subscribed to the newsletter. Guys, oh, if nothing else, wow. we've got you two Twitter followers and one newsletter subscriber. It's definitely well worth awesome. your time. <laughs> it helps. It helps. Yeah. No, it, it, it does. And we're just so, so excited. I don't know if you guys want to say anything before I close out. We're just honored to have been able to mm. broadcast this interview and also to sort of release well, like let people in South Africa know that mm. this is a thing and it's happening and, you know, that's really cool. I mean, I've already yeah, said my bit about world builders and people who like add and support the D&D the, the &D community and helping that grow. And I, I mean, I have massive respect for, mm. for content creators, especially when they are into my favorite genres, which is gaming and D&D. So, you guys get double points from my side. <laughs> yeah. um, I just want to echo everyone else's statement. Like, really, thank you so much for your time. And again, I don't think I can actually art well articulate how much this means to me to see this type of game out in the world and how much it means. Thank you for having us um, on your podcast. Really looking forward to you playing the adventure, I guess, with us now. Yes. <laughs> Added for us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, and yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to hearing what everyone thinks about it. And yeah, really, really excited in general. From my side, thank you guys for an adventure this evening. Remember, if you enjoyed this, please share it with your friends, foes, families and familiars. And not just the Dum Dum Die side, also the Wagadu Chronicle side. Because if, if you like what you've heard, the only way to make more of it is to support it. So please do share it with everybody. Everybody. Buy, buy versions for yourself, your pets, everybody. I mean, I have three dogs. They need this game. <laughs> Especially if it's going to get me animated intros. I'm going to get that. You can follow us at Dum Dum Die, spelled D-U-M-D-U-M-D-I-E, on all the socials. We are going to put the links for the Wagadu Chronicles, but if you're struggling to find it, mail us. We will send you there. We hope you stay safe and have an amazing week filled with adventure. <laughs>